0: Listeners and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our storyteller and journalist Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. In the 1970s, one of pro golf's biggest stars, Columbus-born Jack Nicholas, started the Muirfield Village Golf Club in the Columbus suburb of Dublin. And almost immediately, it began hosting the annual Memorial Golf Tournament, a PGA Tour event. Over the years, one thing that really stands out about this tournament is that it is inexplicably plagued by rain. According to research by the Columbus Dispatch a couple of years ago, in the past 30 years, there have only been seven times the tournament didn't get rained on. Because this seems like a statistical anomaly. The good folks of Dublin have, of course, come up with a reason for it. It's a curse. And who is cursing the tournament? Well, you don't have to look far, because down the street at the corner of Riverside Drive and Stratford Avenue in Dublin is the grave of Wyandotte Indian Chief Sheta To the white man, he was more commonly known as Leather Lips. As lore has it, the chief is upset at all the traffic and crowds that convene annually. They not only mar the peace of his final resting place, they come on the very anniversary of his death. He died June 1, 1810, which quite often is the same weekend as the Memorial Golf Tournament. Now, his grave may once have been a tranquil site where this noble and kindly leader who lived to almost the age of 80 lived in a log cabin and hoped to finish his long and consequential life in quiet reflection. But the death that put him in that grave was not peaceful. It was violent and gruesome and sad. And historians believe his killers lied about their motivation. So let me tell you about the life and death of Leatherlips. Leatherlips was a Wyandotte Indian. The Wyandots used to live up near the Georgian Bay in Ontario, Canada. But there was this disastrous war with the Iroquois, after which they were forced to leave their homeland, so they moved south into the Ohio country. Leatherlips was born in central Ohio about 1732, and he became chief of his own Wyandotte tribe. As American revolutionaries fought for independence in the 1700s, the Wyandotte, as many Indians, fought on the side of the British. They didn't want some new country that was interested in westward expansion. But after the revolution was decided, and after their loss at the Battle of Fallen Timbers, some tribes wanted peace. Leather Lips wanted peace. And in 1795, he joined a handful of chiefs who signed the Treaty of Greenville, which drew the western boundary line for the U.S. going through Ohio. It gave the northwest corner to the Indians and preserved the rest For the future state of Ohio. Now, of course, not everybody liked this idea. There were some very powerful Indian leaders who never approved of the Treaty of Greenville, including the Shawnee chief Tecumseh and his brother the Prophet, who insisted the chiefs that negotiated Ohio away had no right to do so. Tecumseh won fans from the Canadian tribes and many Michigan Wyandots. While most Ohio Wyandots followed the treaty signers Leatherlips and Chief Tarhee, although Tarhee's war chief Roundhead resigned his position and went to join Tecumseh. Tecumseh, the prophet, and their followers were very angry at the peacemakers, especially at Tarhee and Leatherlips. Now, like I said, the the treaty gave Northwest Ohio to the Indians. So, after this happened, the great majority of the Wyandots in Ohio picked up and moved to the Sandusky area. But Leather Lips didn't go with his people. Frankly, he liked Central Ohio. It's where he was born, he had lived there his whole life, he had made a lot of white friends. He wanted to stay. That news did not go down well with his own people who made repeated trips back to central Ohio to insist their chief move with them. He just wouldn't do it. And when the Wyandots in Sandusky started faring very poorly, many of them struck down by plagues, they decided Chief Leatherlips had somehow cursed them. The fact that he wouldn't move with them and wasn't there to share their suffering only cemented their belief that he was using witchcraft. On the evening of June 1, 1810, six Wyandotte Braves, dressed as warriors and coming from a tribe that had settled in Detroit, appeared at the home of a white settler living on the Scioto River, not far from the modern-day boundary of Columbus. They wanted to know where Leatherlips Camp was. The man told them, Why not? He's two miles further up the river. So the Braves left, but not before revealing that they were on a mission to kill the old chief. Well, the white settler shared this unsettling visit with his neighbor, William Sells. William and his brother, John Sells, had known Leatherlips for years, had considered him a good friend. They set off immediately for his camp. William Sells later gave this account. When he arrived at the cabin where Leather Lips lived, he found the six warriors seated in a grove of sugar maples, a short distance from the lodge. In the midst of them sat the old white-haired chief, his arms tied with a cord. A couple of other white men were there with the Indians, arguing in the old man's defense. They were brothers, the last name of Davis or David. Mr. Sells learned the Indians were trying the chief for witchcraft. Leatherlip stood accused of using evil powers that had resulted in the deaths of some of their friends. The council lasted a couple of hours. The accusers spoke with ceremony, but with much bitterness. The chief answered eloquently, but without passion, and a sentence of death was pronounced. Leatherlips would be executed at one o'clock. Mr. Sell said he asked the Braves, what did he do to warrant an execution? Very bad Indian, he was told. Very bad chief. The white men continued to argue in a Leather lips defense, but they really felt helpless to physically interfere. There weren't a whole lot of white settlers in the area. Their own settlements were unprotected, What would happen to their families if they dared try to take action? So they just argued with them. Mr. Sells tried to pay the tribal council. He offered them a fine horse and money, a gift totaling some $300. But if that caused them to pause at all, it was very brief. Their bloodlust was high, and the offer was refused. Leather Lips was given time to prepare himself. He ate a meal of jerked venison, Then he walked to a nearby stream and washed before dressing himself in his best apparel. He painted his face. Then he shook the hands with everyone in the company and began to chant his death song. The six warriors moved about him, keeping in time to the song. They formed a procession and led him some eighty yards further from the cabin where a shallow grave had been dug. Leather Lips faced the grave and raised his hands to the sky then he knelt down to pray to the great spirit his head still tilted upward mr sells tried to intervene again declaring they were within the boundaries of a white settlement if they were going to do this horrible deed they needed to take it somewhere else the indians refused to leave till this moment mr sells hadn't seen a weapon but then suddenly one of the braves produced a tomahawk from beneath a blanket. It happened quickly. He swung the tomahawk, and with Chief Leatherlip's face still raised up to the sky, the axe was planted firmly in his forehead. The chief was immediately rolled into the shallow grave and covered, and the warriors left the site immediately. A man who said William Sells told him this account, said that in the retelling of it, Sells' eyes filled with tears, and he said, Oh, how my heart was touched by the taking away of that good Indian. His word was as true as gospel. He proved it by his actions. Historians have had their hands full trying to figure out the details of this extraordinary execution. In some accounts, One of the Indians who came to execute Leather Lips was Roundhead, that Wyandotte war chief who had changed sides to join Tecumseh. Other accounts say Roundhead chose the executioners and sent them, but didn't go himself. But one thing most historians agree on, it's unlikely that they were truly motivated by a charge of witchcraft. It's not that the Indians didn't believe in witchcraft, they did, Indeed, executed a lot of people for that as well. Historians think, though, it much more likely that Leatherlips was executed on an order from the prophet, the brother of Tecumseh. Chief Tarhee and others who had signed that Treaty of Greenville had gone with their people, and they were out of the reach of easy retribution. But Leatherlips, living alone in his central Ohio camp, had no protection. For years, Leather Lips' grave was just a pile of rocks, but in 1889, the Wyandotte Club of Columbus put up a proper tombstone. And in 1990, about two miles down the road, there's a 12-foot-tall portrait sculpture of the chief. Dublin Arts Council commissioned a Boston artist Ralph Helmick to create this limestone sculpture that rests atop a hill. By the way, if you live in Akron, you may be familiar with Treaty Line Drive. That's the name of a street that goes through San Run Metro Park. That was the border created by the Treaty of Greenville. East of that line was the United States of America. West of that line was Indian Country. For a little while, anyway... As you know, from simply seeing Ohio's borders, that treaty is only going to be respected for a few years. By 1803, Ohio will be granted statehood, and that northwest corner that was given to the Indians would be taken back. In 1843, the peaceful Wyandots would be forced from their reservation in Upper Sandusky and marched to Kansas, and the last members of the last tribe to live in Ohio would be gone. That's it for our 10 minute mystery. We'll see you here next week for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week and may all of your mysteries have happy endings.